Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, happy holidays, happy new year. We're recording this on New Year's Eve. Uh, so chances are you're probably listening to this in 2019. If so, happy new year. If, uh, if not, have a safe night tonight. Uh, once again, my name is Terry Plucknett, the host here. And along with me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Todd, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, who do you have in the Super Bowl now that the playoffs are set? Uh, I'm going to take uh, the Eagles and Nick Foles and God against the Chiefs. And I got the Eagles winning. Man, that would be a crazy matchup. If you have, uh, you have Andy Reid versus Doug Peterson, that'd be nuts. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. Zach, what do you have in the Super Bowl? I'm going to go a little unconventional on this route. I'm going to go the Cleveland Browns versus the Oakland Raiders. Or is it the London Raiders? Or the Las Vegas Raiders. Or the Vegas Raiders. It's not going to be Las Vegas Raiders. It's going to be the Vegas Raiders. I'm, I'm, it has to be, right? Yes. I, I think so. I, I'm going to go with a, with a weird choice. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Chargers over Rams. The battle of the two teams nobody wants in L.A. Wasn't there a movie called The Battle of Los Angeles? There there was. <laughs> that was it was like some alien... I never saw it. Battle L.A. Yeah. That's kind of what they call a UCLA playing USC, though. Yeah. What about that movie The Battle in Seattle about the WTO protests? That That's something different. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't quite apply here. Uh, Speaking of football, uh, I just want to say that the Boucher Bombers are back on top. I took the almost sideways fantasy football league. No contest in against Terry's good thinking team in the nam- in the championship game. Yeah, you you so really, you I want dominated to thank DeAndre me. Hopkins for winning me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you dominated me in the championship game. Zach, where did you finish in that one? Where did uh, um, where did Nutty Edom Cheese finish? I don't know. I've been thinking about my name for next year more than uh, paying attention to how I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a double whammy because you lost that league and now you have to ship off the uh, the trophy in our other league. So, uh. Which is funny because I'm, I'm recording this from Chicago, which is where Josh lives. And had, had I had enough foresight, I would have just brought the trophy with me to hand deliver it to him. You should have. You should have. Yeah. Would that be your carry on? Is that what you've done? Well, no, I drove up here. So, you know. Oh. Yeah. Then no, it's there's no a way I would... It, it, it's cheaper to mail it than to have it as a carry-on. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know from personal experience, Todd, about uh, Spirit Airlines carry-ons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a nightmare. Yeah, so uh, so uh, uh, driving there, it definitely was a missed opportunity. Absolutely. All right, well... I did, I did not have enough good thinking. No, no, no. Uh, there it, it is. Yep, there it is. There it is. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you uh, haven't found us yet all over the internet, almostsideways.com has our thousands of movie reviews. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, if you haven't found us on iTunes yet, please uh, find us there. Subscribe, rate, review so uh, more people can find us. Uh, 
before we get into talking about movies, uh, it, it may be New Year's Eve morning, but it is New Year's Eve. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some wonderful Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. All right. I, I like how I had to go to Chicago to get something that was brewed in California. <laughs> exactly. The only You have to drive 500 miles to get it, but it's worth it. Uh, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking uh, the Knob Creek Straight Rye Whiskey Small Batch Patiently Aged 100 Proof. Uh, it's got a definite bite, but it's got some kick to it, too. It's, uh, it's very drinkable. Very nice. Very nice. I am drinking uh, from Pelican Brewery on the uh, the Oregon coast in Tillamook. This is their Irish-style red ale. I've never had it bottled before. I've had it on tap at the brewery before, though, but uh, I've, I'm always a fan of, of red ales, and this one's a good one. So, so cheers. Cheers. I'm surprised your drink isn't more gimmicky like for Christmas. I, I, I'm a little disappointed, Terry. Yeah, yeah, well... Another failed opportunity. Okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and hop into our movies and look at our movie reviews. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. Uh, well, we will be reviewing a movie all together, but before we do that, uh, we uh, started something last last time that we want to try again this time. Uh, Zach, I'm going to go to you first. Give me 30 seconds on a movie you've seen over the last couple weeks. Okay, well, I'm trying to catch up on obscure uh, foreign movies that I may have missed this year. One that I just checked out uh, a couple days ago is called Custody, a French film by the director Xavier uh, Legrand. And it's a really good, um, pretty intense thriller about uh, an unlikely subject, which is a couple who have divorced and are fighting for custody rights of their kids. Um, it actually kind of turns out, it turns into more of a psychological thriller and people start doing really crazy, demented things in it. And uh, it's sort of like a Michelle Haneke film, but with a little bit more polish. So I, I, I really liked it, Custy. It might make an appearance on my top ten list this year. All right. Interesting. I have not heard of that one. Shocker, I'm sure. Uh, Todd, 30 seconds on a movie you've seen. Uh, so it's not exactly a movie, it's actually a mini-series, but yesterday was the last episode of Escape uh, at Danamora, which is uh, a show that has uh, Paul Dano and Benicio Del Toro and Golden Globe nominee Patricia Arquette, directed by Ben Stiller. It's, uh, it's a good show, it's, uh, it's a true story about these people who escape with the help of this lady who's like teaching a sewing class at the, at the prison, and... Um, it's it's up and down. Ben Stiller is definitely a talented director, but uh, it's a it's a good show, and I, I recommend it. It's only seven episodes. Only. All right. Uh, I've been uh, catching up on some uh, on some Netflix movies, and one of the ones I found. Uh, if you haven't seen it already on our blog, I posted a review of the Christmas Chronicles, which Zach was very upset about. Um, but the movie I'm going to talk about is Mowgli: Legend of the Jungle. Uh, this is the, um, the Jungle Book story brought to us by Andy Serkis, who is the king of, uh, of motion capture, and he gets some of the best talent in Hollywood to, uh, to work on this one. You've got Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch, Naomi Harris, 
uh, and of course Andy Serkis all playing some of the main characters there. Uh, I thought it was really good. It was a it was very different because it was um, not necessarily a retread of the Disney, but uh, going back to the source material. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you like the like the story and want to see a slightly different version of it, the vocal talent is amazing. But uh, it's definitely worth a worth a, a try if uh, if you like that story at all. So Mowgli: Legend of the Jungle. It's on Netflix. That was more than thirty seconds. Yeah, it might have been the longest one of the of the group this time. Last time I was the shortest by far. So, all right, let's uh let's then hop into what we're going to be talking about today. The film we are all reviewing together and that is one of the big movies uh going into awards season it is the new film uh written and directed by adam mckay and it is called vice the story of dick cheney um and uh, dick cheney is brought to us by christian bale this cast is huge uh with uh with stars all over the place playing some uh fairly familiar faces you have uh, Amy Adams playing uh, playing Lynn Cheney. You've got Steve Carell playing Donald Rumsfeld. Sam Rockwell playing George W. Bush. Uh, you've got Tyler Perry playing Colin Powell. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent in this movie, and uh, it starts out by by prefacing it with it's a true story. However, it's as true as they could get because Dick Cheney is one of the most secretive private people uh, public figures that we've maybe ever had uh and i found this movie to be a fascinating look at uh at this at this guy who seemed to be um kind of in the right place at the right time of uh of uh our political machine and that's really how i looked at it it was a critique of our political machine and someone who knew the machine better than anybody who had a perfect storm, right place, right time, and was able to take advantage of it in a way nobody else really in American history has ever been able to do. Uh, I thought Christian Bale was scary in how well he was able to portray this character. Um, Dick Cheney is, uh, he, he has some very definite mannerisms and it very easily could have turned into more of a, of a caricature, but I don't think it did that at all. I think he it definitely showed some emotion. He gave one of his better performances and I would um, I would say he he should be the front runner for for the Oscar at this point uh, I've heard some critiques of some of the other uh, some of the other performances like Carell's performances Rumsfeld or Rockwell's performances W uh, and I think the main problem is when comparing it to Christian Bale's performance it's nowhere near as good however every everyone in this cast and every performance is uh, is amazing. I would say one of uh, a couple of things that uh, really detract from uh, from this is uh, the the narration style that uh, Adam McKay likes to use. He is the same one that did uh, the Big Short a couple years ago, and he uses some of the same narration style of people outside of the story narrating and continuously cutting to them telling the story and them dealing with like their life as they're talking to the camera. Uh, it worked really well in the big short, and it works well here most of the time, but it also kind of feels like a gimmick at times as well. Um, so that kind of detracts from it a little bit. Uh, but I, I think overall this was a very fascinating movie. I think they did an, uh, he did a very good job of, 
giving a political commentary movie, making it entertaining, but also making it uh, making it educational and fascinating at the same time. I was completely taken in by it. Um, and I will say the, I think the final scene was the best scene. And I think, uh, it was, it was haunting in, uh, in what, in what is said in that scene as you, for the first time, see, see Dick Cheney turn and talk directly to the audience. Uh, I'm giving it three and a half stars. I think it's definitely worth a watch for, uh, for anyone who is interested in history or politics in any way, uh, definitely worth checking out. And uh, if for nothing else, to watch Christian Bale, one of our greatest chameleons, disappear into yet another role and be completely unrecognizable. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Okay, well, interesting. Uh, I'm almost of the complete opposite opinion about Terry regarding this film. I found it labored, contrived, um, predictable and unremarkable uh i guess for the, the first thing i kind of wonder is why uh why are we having a movie about dick cheney and uh i guess the answer to that question is adam mckay is someone who is critical of the bush administration critical of the trump administration i have similar political views to adam mckay so it's not a personal attack on adam mckay i suspect the reason that he wanted to make a movie about dick cheney was to remind maybe younger audiences that Trump didn't just come out of a vacuum, that the, that the modern-day Republican Party of 2018 has its roots uh, in the previous Republican administration, which, according to McKay, is really kind of run by Cheney. Um, and as a biography, I think it has a lot of the same sort of conventional beats that we saw in uh, Oliver Stone's W, which I think is a far superior film about a similar topic. And uh, we don't really learn anything new about Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney is sort of a soulless, empty vacuum. There's a movie that, there's a reason we don't see a lot of movies just about evil characters. Uh, And Dick Cheney, make no bones about it, is evil in this movie. He doesn't really have any sort of humanity or emotional conflict. The the closest that he comes to being conflicted is is about the treatment of his daughter when she comes out as as a lesbian, which could have been an interesting direction that the film could have taken, but it kind of just leaves it out there in the open. really have a narrow focus on Cheney. It sort of covers the vast swath of his entire career from his work in the Nixon and Ford administrations uh, all the way up leading up to to the Bush administration. We don't really learn anything about him besides, like I said, the sort of standard things that you would learn on Wikipedia. So I think what the movie tries to compensate for with that is to throw in these kind of, you know, these these gimmicky moments, almost like an SNL sketch um, that we saw in the big short that were used much better, frankly, in the big short. So there's scenes where, for example, Christian Bale and Amy Adams break into a Shakespearean verse. Uh, there's another scene where the characters order things at a dinner table that are, you know, crimes against humanity. And, you know, as, a, as, a, as an abstract concept, they're sort of like SNL bits. And I think they're really just kind of meant to wake the audience up during these long passages that really don't have anything unique or interesting to say. Um, if you want a movie about this time period, I think there are several others that are a lot more introspective and uh, even historically accurate. You could look at documentaries like No End in Sight or My Country, My Country, or even movies like uh, like The Hurt Locker or... Uh, uh, you know, movies that um, actually wanted to tell the story of uh, of an entire era rather than just looking at uh, a person who was sort of in the background of it. Um, 
like I said, we, we really don't get a lot of sense of process. My, 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 my gut feeling is that Adam McKay must have learned somewhere that uh, Christian Bale could do a great imitation of Dick, of Dick Cheney, which he does. And he, puts, and he puts on the fat suit and he dyes his hair and that's great. And he gives a sort of Batman monotone. But there's really nothing deeper about the performance besides just being a glorified imitation. I felt someone insulted by the movie at times. I feel like Adam McKay is insulting audiences for not having more, uh, paying more attention to the politics of the two thousands, which I think is just erroneous. I think a lot of people followed the Bush administration, in particular, particularly Cheney's role in it. And the narrative framing device involving Jesse Plemons was just downright embarrassing. So this to me is one of the biggest uh, disappointments of the year. I give it a very tepid two stars because I think Christian Bale tried. And, uh, you know, I don't really have anything bad to say about him or the performances, but uh, it's a disappointment. Okay. It's a very different opinion from me. Todd, where do you fall on this one? Uh, I don't know. I think I probably hate it a little bit more than Zach. Uh, I don't know. I, when a movie starts off, I say, we're going to try to make a true story, but we don't have enough facts to do that, so we're going to fabricate it. I'm like, why am I actually watching this? Uh, they And then they try, like, everything that they do about Cheney, they make him out to be, like, manipulative, but also brilliant, so they don't really have a strong opinion on, on what he's doing. But, I mean, it, it has an interesting arc from, like, the 30 or so years to having him have, like, his house of cards, like, run at the presidency. And Christian Bale is really good, and he disappears into the role. But I think uh, Amy Adams as Lynn Cheney was good, but she also, like, Lynn Cheney should, like, almost file, like, defamation. She comes off like a needy socialite and, like, uh, having no conscience whatsoever. Like, her character comes off awful in this movie. And I also think Steve Carell is terrible as Donald Rumsfeld. It's almost laughable. And Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush is comes off sort of like a pushover idiot, not really with a quirky sense of humor or anything like that. I'm not really sure why he's getting supporting actor buzz for it. Um, I don't know. And then the narration is just atrocious. But I don't know. I like when you actually find out who the narrator is. Like the collective eye roll in the in the theater was like almost audible. It was it, it was absolutely terrible. I, th I think Adam McKay sort of outsmarted himself. Like, he, like, interesting satirical comedy like W, this is not uh, blistering and well-researched historical screenplay like Zero Dark Thirty, that definitely is not. The movie is complete garbage. Uh, and the end credits made it even worse. Like, it was as bad as the end credits of The Goods. Like, it just makes you, like, it's like, wow, everything about this is terrible. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's all fact, yeah, sure, because that's what you said in the beginning, you don't actually have the facts. And there's also, it also proves how sloppily researched it was when, like, they're having a scene in the 1960s, and then Donald Rumsfeld mentions something about Pocket Kings, which is a Texas Hold'em thing, and that movie wasn't even taken <laughs> out of Texas saloons until, like, the mid-70s. And, I don't know. Yes. I thought the same thing, Todd. No, I didn't. Hey. <laughs> And I don't know, but none of what actually happens is all that new. It's all public record, but but he does like obviously fabricate a lot of conversations to, like, get his get his point across. And I don't know. I also thought it was interesting that not a single Democrat character was recreated. Everything was archival footage of those characters, so he couldn't make fun of them. And I don't know. McKay went from like a Oscar-winning screenwriter to like, I don't know, this really gimmicky and horribly edited movie it was almost like insulting and juvenile and but i mean though all those things that he did in the big short does not work here but he didn't exactly have margot robbie in a in a bubble bath or whatever but 
I don't know. I give it one star, and that's because of Christian Bale, because he is the one star of the movie. Oof. All right. Well, um, I will say some of what you guys have said, I, I agree with. I, I think the narration doesn't work near as well here as it did in the big sh- in the big short. However, um, I I was entertained by it, especially I think the first half. I think uh, watching. Uh, them talk about Dick Cheney's rise into the position he ended up in. I thought that was much more interesting than seeing Adam McKay give his give his commentary on the Bush administration. Um, and that's why I tried to stay away from, or I tried not to think of the the political bias that's in it, because there's definitely political bias in a movie that's going to be um, about this topic only ten years after after he's been out of office. Uh, but at the same time, I think I think it's fascinating to look at how uh, how you have this political system that has been set up and how someone could take advantage of it in that way. Uh, I thought that was that was fascinating, and to watch it be done by by this character, I thought that was uh, I thought that was really good. I I also really liked how uh, about halfway through the movie how they tried to end the movie, and it was interrupted by a phone call. And, and it was because Dick Cheney's political career was over until he was asked to be vice president. Uh, I thought that was that was a very clever way of showing how um, how things could have could have turned out differently if he hadn't been pulled back into it by uh, by one of his uh, one of his fellow colleagues' sons. In is basically how they end up end up putting it. Now I, I was entertained by it, and I and I thought the performances were were good. Um, and so I guess I I saw entertainment where you guys didn't necessarily see it well i never thought it was boring it, it was entertaining to watch because it is it, it is like slickly paced and everything but it i i'm not going to pretend like it was good yeah and and i mean you have to sort of compare it to the big short not just because of the narrative similarities but you know i, I wasn't the biggest fan of the big short but what i did like about the big short was that it did have a side of humanity about the characters like particularly the steve carell and christian bale characters who were really kind of interesting and fascinating and he didn't know a whole lot about them and he kind of wondered about morally speaking where they sort of leaned toward because they were essentially insiders um and this movie doesn't have any sort of moral interest this guy's just you know he's He's uh, soulless. He's heartless, as the movie wants to bang over your head several times, especially at the end of the movie. Um, he's not a he's not a very round character. He's sort of a one dimensional character, and and I think that's where maybe the problem is. Uh, and you you compare this movie to other insider movies about Washington over the last decade. I mean, even like The Post is, uh, which is by no means a great movie and about a diff- different time period, but it's so much more intelligently written and and better crafted as as a Washington thriller. You know, this is a movie that is just I think a bunch of ideas that are haphazardly assembled, and the hope is that Bale's performance could bring it all together. But the truth is. Um, it just it never it, it, it never matches the what it could have been with the potential that Bale's uh, imitation could, could have lended it. So uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a disappointment. And and you're right, Todd, to wonder sort of about what Adam McKay was thinking. And shout out to the uh, Keyshawn Johnson Bucks jersey. I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> I know. I I was thinking the same thing. Now that it's funny you mentioned that because that was one of the few scenes in the movie that worked for me. I actually thought those focus groups were really kind of interesting, and I wish the movie had been about um, focus groups. I would have I would have watched a whole movie about that woman interviewing people about uh, changing the the terminology from uh, 
climate from global warming to climate change and death death tax and estate tax that stuff was fascinating i would have loved to know more about that and the new fast and the furious movie very true and who <laughs> let the dogs out uh all right so uh, but he just he, he, sorry terry one no, last go, comment. Go that kind of stuff w- was really bothersome to me because that's just that's reinforcing stereotypes about liberals that you know we're smug and we're better than we're we're elite and you know we're better than everyone else and i by adam mckay saying you know he's pointing the finger at the audience saying you know you should have paid attention more i mean that just reinforces stereotypes about liberals and i i was really pretty deeply offended by that as someone with similar political views to adam mckay so, as a viewer, I was insulted, and I agree with you, Todd. Those credits were really insulting as well. Yes. All right. So, there are definitely some uh, some mixed opinions here. It's, it has been uh, getting some pretty good uh, critical uh, acclaim uh, up to this point. But, um, but take our opinions for, for what you... Uh, for what you want. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Zach is giving it two stars. Todd is giving it one star. It's definitely... Um, a movie you're going to be hearing about uh, in the next couple months as Oscar season ramps up, because uh, I think I think Christian Bale definitely will be getting nominated, and we'll see where else it uh, where else it pops up. Um, maybe not as many places as the as the Big Short, but um, especially a political movie like this in a in the a time where our pol- politics are the way they are, uh, I could see a movie like this doing quite well um, come Oscar nomination day. Okay. Let's move on from that and into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. All right, for our spotlight segment, uh, this uh, this podcast, we're going to be talking about um, a director that we uh, that we just heard over the last couple weeks um, has uh, passed away, and that's Penny Marshall, uh, a great actress, uh, director, producer. Uh, really did almost everything that there uh, that there is to do in Hollywood, and did it all at a very high level. Uh, sad to see her passing, but we decided to take one of her her greatest films, and probably the favorite of us here on the podcast, and that is A League of Their Own, and try to recast it. And this was this was hard because this movie is it's one of my all time favorites. It's it's very very much almost a perfect movie in a lot of ways. So trying to recast it is really a difficult thing to do, um, but we're going to give it a shot. So uh, let's uh, let's start with uh, with writer and director. And Todd, I'm going to go to you. Okay, so it was originally written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Uh, so I went with another uh, combo of writers. I went with. Uh, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. I think that they're really good at doing comedy dramas. They did like 500 Days of Summer and uh, uh, Spectacular Now. They're, they're really talented and I think that they could bring something interesting even though I don't know if they know anything about baseball. Alright. Zach, what do you think? Um, I decided to go with Diablo Cody as my writer. I think she's written some fabulous comedies in the last uh, 10 years, and I'd love to see her approach this material. And then as director, I went with someone who I thought had been a director before, but I guess would be making technically their directorial debut, and what a more perfect project for this person. And that person is none other than Gina Davis. Doesn't Uh. it seem like Gina, doesn't seem like Gina Davis has directed something? Yes, it does. But, But I guess not. She's a member of Mensa, so she's intelligent. 
All right. Um, for for this, I think uh, one of the things that made this film so charming uh, is that it was a movie um, about women uh, directed by a woman, and I think that's really kind of an important piece of this. So I'm going to go uh, written and directed by Patty Jenkins. I think she she's one that's definitely uh, definitely on uh, on fire right now with the Wonder Woman movie uh, and the next one coming out next year. So I'm going Patty Jenkins as my uh, as my writer director, maybe with a with some help from from like a, a Rick Riley or something like that to help give the the sports context to it. Yeah, my director was Julie Delpy. By the way, I forgot to say that. Oh, oh, there you go. Oh. All but right. French people don't watch baseball, do they? I I don't know. That's a good question. I wouldn't have thought that John Sales or Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck did either, but you know. <laughs> That's what we should done. We should have just gone with Bowden and Fleck. That would have been good. They they've shown that they know baseball already. Anyways, okay. Uh, all right, moving into uh, some of the characters here from this uh, all girls baseball team. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, the star, the Queen of Diamonds, Dottie Henson herself, originally brought to us by Zach's director, Gina Davis. Uh, Todd, who do you have as Dottie Henson? Uh, well, Dottie is a, a towering figure compared to all the other people, so I went with a very tall, athletic uh, actress, and that's Charlize Theron. I think that her stature and demeanor, she could actually, she could absolutely own the movie, and that's what you need from your Dowdy Henson. All right. Zach, what do you got? Well, uh, yes, uh, that is a very good comment. I was actually thinking of someone also physically imposing. I was thinking about Elizabeth Debrecki uh, from Widows. Um, she's certainly tall enough to play the role, but I actually decided to go with someone with a little bit more star power who's also played athletes in the past. But I, I think what's actually more important to Dottie is blending the seriousness and the comedy of the role, but as essentially a straight man or straight woman also. And uh, that person is Emma Stone, who was uh, great uh, as the great tennis player uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, oh, we're we're gonna let you try and figure this out. <laughs> Billy Jean, Billy Jean, Billy Jean, King. Billy Jean King. That's right. Sorry about that. It's been a long Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. <laughs> it, 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 if it's still Christmas Eve, it definitely has been a long Christmas Eve. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that you have. Uh, this is where one of your stars of the film right here is having. Uh, is having uh, Dottie. If you look at Gina Davis at this time, she just came off of Thelma and Louise. Uh, she'd won a won an Oscar a couple years earlier. Uh, this was her at the height of of her uh, of her stardom of her popularity. Uh, and and like Todd said, it, it's an imposing figure. She is uh, she tends to be taller than everyone else. Uh, by the way, I looked up Gina Davis is six feet tall, so she definitely was the tallest one in the room. Uh, but also, she just kind of seems to be better than everyone in every way, whether it be looks, whether it be play on the field. However, the one problem I have with this movie is you can totally tell Gina Davis has no idea how to play baseball. Um, it, Ouch. Yeah, you, you can tell. You can tell. Um, so that, that necess isn't necessarily as big of an issue as much as it is just having the, like you said, being the straight person, being able to combine the comedy and the drama 
and and having this this air of I'm better than you. And so I went with Anne Hathaway, uh, uh, definitely a star. Uh, I think she is uh, she's someone with a build that could pull off an athletic role like this, and and fits all the other all the other criteria. Hey, lest you forget that Gina Davis is like an Olympic level tennis player. Okay, she's very athletic. Actually, Maybe she was an the... Olympic level archer. Archer, same thing. Same thing. Same skills. <laughs> same. What, what 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 athletic roles has Anne Hathaway ever played? <laughs> Sorry, I'm still getting over the fact that tennis and archery require the exact same skill set. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. She's, well, she was. Uh, she's done superhero movies, so she's shown that she can deal handle the the like stunts and things like that that would be needed That's or something true. like that. So, uh, so I'm going with it. Deal with it. It's a better choice than Emma Stone. I considered Emma Stone for Kit Emma actually. Stone? Emma Stone has been an athlete before, okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what character cri- did she criti- play again? You're criticizing Gina <laughs> Davis for not having athletic skills, and you're casting someone who also has never ostensibly shown any athletic skills in the movie. Yeah, and I said that that's the one thing that really doesn't matter in the role. Okay, all right. Because, because Gina Davis was able to pull it off without having a great amount of baseball skill. She's an athlete. She doesn't know how to play baseball. I mean, I'll put it that way. Okay, moving on. Uh, moving on to Dottie's little sister, Kit Keller, originally brought to us by Lori Petty. Uh, Todd, who do you have? Okay, so Lori Petty, uh, I'm having her pass the torch on to Taylor Schilling, just like she did in Orange is the New Black. I think Taylor Schilling is definitely kind of annoying enough to play Kit. And uh, she showed in Orange is the New Black, she's a pretty lousy uh, kickball player, but I think that she probably could play baseball. So, that's my kit. Not bad, not bad. All right, Zach, where are you going here? Yeah, I was, I was sort of thinking the same thing. It obviously can't be someone, it has to be someone with uh, uh, worse skills athletically than uh, Dottie, but also someone who's lovable and uh, very, very um, sympathetic. And so I went with an actress who has not been in enough movies, um, and that actress is Constance Wu. I think she's great in everything she's in. Um, I do think that the ethnic differences between the actresses could be mitigated by explaining that they may be their half-sisters, or you could say that Emma Stone is Asian like she was in Aloha. I was just thinking that. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not to, not to uh, worry about the historical inaccuracies of having an Asian woman playing, being the star of the, of the uh, all-American baseball team during World War II when they're all in uh, internment camps. Well, <laughs> you know. I can't see her pitching. I really can't. Well, but could you really see, I mean, Lori, Lori Petty was not, you know, particularly... Uh, athletically gifted either. And Constance Wu, as I'm looking up here, is not Japanese. She was uh, Taiwanese. Oh. I'm, I'm sure that made a difference in the 40s to, uh, to, to those that were, that were locking them up. Ouch. Dang, shots fired with Terry's dude, list. Dang. Dude, you... 
you're, you're gonna you're gonna squash Vice for being historically inaccurate, and then you're gonna put Constance Wu in a '40s baseball movie. Hey, this is restorative. <laughs> okay, this is this is amending one of the problems with the League of Their Own, which is that it's a very Caucasian movie. We need a little bit more That's, diversity in it. It was. It's a true story. <laughs> Well, wow. Vice was a true story too, as true as it could have been. Oh man! And you liked Vice. <sighs> okay, whatever. All right, my Kit Keller. Uh, I went. You got to go with someone that's younger than your Dottie. You've got to go with someone that can potentially be inferior in every way to Dottie. Um, I went with Elizabeth Olsen. She's uh, someone uh, that I think can also pull off the uh, the athletic ability. She's someone that um, that is she she is very good looking. However, I think you can also portray her in a way uh, that would uh, that would not necessarily highlight those features as Lori Petty uh, has done to her in uh, in the original uh, to kind of show off the differences between Dottie and Kit. I think it, it I think it could work. So that's that's my Kit Keller. Okay, Todd, Jimmy Dugan, brought to us originally by the one and only Tom Hanks. And I, I might say, in I mean, this is like a top three or four Tom Hanks role for me. Uh, so, Todd, who's your Jimmy Dugan? All right. Uh, not an easy role to cast, but uh, the one actor I, I kept picturing saying those lines was Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I could see him playing that, like, screw-up drunk, and he would absolutely transform the same way that Tom Hanks did, playing a character that was probably 10, 12 years older than he actually was at the time. Yeah, I, I could picture him saying the lines. I think he would be a lot of fun to, to see as the coach of the team. All right. Zach? Yeah, along similar lines, I went with Ryan Gosling. I think Ryan Gosling can play someone who's uh, a little bit past their prime, maybe grown out the beard a little bit. Um, basically, he can reprise his role in the current day scenes from Blue Valentine. He can also wear a t-shirt with like a wolf howling at the moon on it. Um, and we know that he can do comedy, so uh, him being reunited with Emma Stone for a fourth time in a non-romantic relationship would be uh, pretty cool. Those are uh, those are definitely decent picks. Um, I went along a similar line. First off, I don't think necessarily that Tom Hanks is playing someone older than himself. I think he's just simply playing someone that's that, like you guys have said, is past his prime, is kind of out of uh, out of shape, out of touch. Because uh, they even say, I mean, Tom Hanks was I think thirty six when this was made, and and they say, you know. Jimmy Dugan could still be playing. He's, he could have fought in the war, but he, you know, he's a drunk. He's he's injured. He ran himself out of the league. And uh, and so um, someone in, in their mid-30s that can uh, portray some someone like this. With Patty Jenkins as my writer-director, I went with Chris Pine along the same lines as you guys. Um, uh, I think Gyllenhaal, Gosling, Pine, I think they're all in, in the same... Uh, in the same realm of, of someone who could uh, definitely pull off the comedy of this role, could pull off the uh, the physical uh, nature of the role, and also uh, have the have the serious moments too. Okay, uh, the next two uh, we're gonna do together because they really go together, and that is uh, all the way May and Doris, brought to us originally by Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell, 
who were best buds in real life and were best buds in this film. I, looking back on it, the star power in this film is amazing. Um, I, uh, Rosie O'Donnell wasn't necessarily a star at this point, but Hanks was a star. Gina Davis was a star. Madonna in a supporting role was a, was a big star already at this point. Uh, I mean, this, this is a huge movie. But anyways, uh, May and Doris. Todd, who do you have? Okay, so May Morbito, she's obviously Italian, and it was too easy to pick Lady Gaga, so I went with Alexandra Daddario. And uh, for Doris, who is, like, the brash and whiny one, I didn't go with someone necessarily who looks like Rosie O'Donnell. I went with Ellen Page, uh, I mainly because, again, I could see her saying the lines. So those would be the uh, the two. Definitely uh, would change up the dynamics of that friendship, but uh, I think it'd be interesting. Okay. Zach, who do you got for May and Doris? Uh, for May, I went with Gal Gadot because I think she can be really funny and, you know, ethnic vaguely. And uh, I, I would love to see her play baseball in much the same way that I think a lot of people probably wanted to see Madonna play baseball. And then for Doris, I, th- I think the, the, it was ob- this was the most easy one for me. Uh, the, the, most, uh, the, the, the easiest to see in that role is Amy Schumer. I think she would nail it. Nice. Yeah, that that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, definitely in this in this relationship, you have to remember the line from Doris about how they met, and how uh, how uh, you know they were at a at a nightclub, and uh, that was run by Doris's father, and May was the dancer, and she was the bouncer. I think that that really kind of defines this relationship here. Um, with Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell being friends already, I went with uh, a couple actresses that have uh, worked together before that are already friends. Uh, so with May, I went with Anna Kendrick. Doris, I went with Rebel Wilson. Good ones. I can see it. Yep. All right. Uh, one more we're going to do all together, and that is Ira Lowenstein. The, uh, the genius boy who helps save the league, becomes the commissioner of the league, and Mr. Harvey hands it over to him. This was originally played by David Strathairn before anybody knew who David Strathairn was. Uh, Todd, who do you have as your Ira? Uh, so I didn't really think this was all that easy to cast, but uh, it's got to be someone who's like fighting the good fight and is somewhat of a sympathetic, uh, likable th- figure. And so I went with Steve Zahn. Because I, I really like watching him act, and I don't think he's in enough stuff, and I could see him being uh, that, that type of persona, but it's not it's not a role that I was actually all that good at casting. You, you, you are correct. You weren't good at casting it. <laughs> Zach, who do you have? Uh, well, um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really remember this character. I kind of had to ask. So uh, with that in mind, remembering that, for, at least for me, it wasn't a very significant character, I went with Russell Crowe. Uh, okay, my my Ira is dominates both of yours. Uh, so the things I remember about Ira is he's uh, he's smart. He's kind of the numbers guy, but he also kind of disappears into the background. He's not he doesn't look that important until he becomes important. Uh, he's he's just kind of like the second in, uh, second in command behind Mr. Harvey. He's kind of a yes man until he stands up to him and says, "We're keeping this. I've made this something. I want it to be my thing." Um, and, uh, so it had to be someone that, that has that quality of being able to just kind of disappear into the background at times until it's time for him to be, uh, to be, uh, in the, in the front and center. Uh, I went with Tony Hale. 
I think he has the right persona to pull off a role like this. He he kind of can pull off that uh, that nerdy look, but also um, that that look of of non-importance, but yet still having the gumption to uh, to stand up for what he believes in. So, I'm going Tony Hale. That was pretty terrible too. I honestly think <laughs> Peter Simonishek would be better than all three of them. Agreed. You should have said that, Todd. Uh, Tony Hale, I think, would be great at it. Much better than than Steve Zahn. Okay. Uh, Todd, do you have any any others that you would like to uh, you'd like to throw out there? Uh, well, no, not really. I just thought that Marla Hooch would have been too obvious to choose Melissa McCarthy, so I just decided not to do it. <laughs> Marla Hooch, Hooch. All right. Uh, Zach, do you have anybody else? Yeah, I actually casted Marla as Macy Williams from Game of Thrones um, with significant makeup because I actually think Macy Williams is, is, is very attractive, but um, I think she could pull off the role and have a lot of fun with it. The big eyes, that's what did it, isn't it? The big eyes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was trying to think, like I said, this was a hard one to do because it was so well done to begin with. I was trying to think of some good ones, like like who could be a good Mr. Harvey and who was originally brought to us by Gary Marshall, Penny's brother, um, who uh, died earlier this year. So it's interesting that the two of them um, die within the within the same calendar year. But uh, but yeah, I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't bring about, any others out. How about Carl Reiner? It, that Penny's that could work. That there. He might be a little old though at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a little a little too old probably. Um. All right, yeah. This is this is an all time classic. It's it's one of like I said, it's one of my favorite movies, and it's always it's always fun when you can talk about it. And uh, and definitely uh, uh, rest in peace, Penny Marshall. Uh, and uh, thank you for the amazing work that you uh, that you provided us with. Okay, power rankings time. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. Zach, you won our game last week, which meant you had the uh, the task of picking our category here, and this is going to be a fun one. Uh, tell us what we're doing in, in a in as nice of a way as possible. Okay, top movie stick men or stick women. Okay, now, there is that as nice as possible. Now, now you have to explain this just a little bit. I have to explain it a little bit here. You don't know what a stick man is? Okay, so I'll explain. So uh, Michael Rappaport used to be a guest on the Bill Simmons podcast, and a few years ago he was telling stories about when he worked with Sylvester Stallone on the set of Copland. And uh, Michael Rappaport is a big Rocky fan, and so he was asking Sly a lot of questions about the making of Rocky, and he wanted to know all the stories about it. So one day Sylvester Stallone takes him aside and tells him, Yo, Michael, Burgess Meredith. He was, a, he was a stick man. And uh, a stick man, apparently, according to Sylvester Stallone, is someone who uh, gets a lot of action, shall we say. And uh, Burgess Meredith was apparently a major stick man. And so anytime now you hear Michael Rappaport, uh, uh, either on Bill Simmons' podcast or his own podcast, he talks a lot about uh, the biggest stick men in Hollywood. Um, when Prince died, he had a whole episode devoted to Prince's resume as a stick man. We're going to make this list, though, not about actual people. We're going to make this about the top movie and TV character stick men. And we're also going to make it uh, stick women, because why be sexist like that? There are plenty of women out there that have 
had a lot of uh, exciting sexual histories too. So uh, yeah, this this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> All right. So the top movie and TV character stick men or stick women or stick women stick people stick people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, okay. Uh, who's gonna start us out with this? Uh, I think I will. I'll start us out with this. Okay, this was this was like an impossible, impossible uh, list to make. I um, I very easily, I could have gone a couple different ways in how I made this. I could have made it all like sitcom people, uh, because you have so many, so much, uh, just so much to work with in in that. Uh, but I, I tried to stay away from that as much as possible. Um, I also saw myself constantly going towards like everyone I had listed in my um, fake musicians. Uh, that they always, I was like, man, that's, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one. But I, I tried to stay away from that as well. Uh, so some of these are going to be obvious. Some of them are going to be. I, I bet that guy was was a good stick man. So, uh, number five on my list is one of those that I'm like, you know what, this guy, the, just the way he is had to be, had to be a good stick man. And he definitely knows how to talk up the ladies, even if it gets eye rolls until he wins her over. I'm going with Dr. Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters. That, that's wow. my number five. Well, you watch, you watch, you watch the movie and you watch it how, 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 you know, Dr. Venkman is able to just charm Dana over the course of the movie. I mean, he doesn't even stop when she's possessed by a demon. And uh, and he he's he's still he's he's charming her and eventually he wins her over. They they end up uh in the in the sequel they end up having a kid and uh, you know, it's it's everything's moving along just fine and he know he he's he's a ladies man. And so I'm going Dr. Peter Venkman as my number 5. Terry, I'm afraid you might have misinterpreted this list. <laughs> do you do, do you know what we mean by stick men? Yeah. We're not talking about uh, we're not talking about charm school, okay? We're talking about like the most, you know, raw I, I realize that. I realize that. But but you know, they 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 can it can come in different in different packages and I'm I'm going with this one as number 5. I mean, nothing against monogamy, but this guy it didn't seem like he was I mean, I, I don't know. Like he's he's, you know, it, it's always It, was, it uh, wasn't it's, his first girl he talked to. I let's put it that way. Wow. That's what I'm going with. Deal with that's it. About, that's about one of the last characters yeah, I think it, of. Yeah, it's it, I, I realize it's not the greatest one, but uh I was having trouble filling out my list, and I went with it. I've got better ones coming up. Todd, number five. <laughs> and you make fun of me for Constance Wu. Wow. Okay, yeah, so well, that's because it's the, like the fifth time you've picked Constance Wu. I think she's now passed up Peter Simonashek and how many times she's made your uh, recastings. On a movie you don't even know the title to. Crazy stupid Asians. All right. <laughs> Todd, number five. All right. Well, my number five is uh, a ti the title of the movie uh, implies, and it's actually shown that he is a, definitely a stick man. The character is Nick Marshall, which is played by Mel Gibson in What Women Want, and so our like our friendship has an interesting relationship to this movie because this is a movie that Zach gave me as his groomsman gift because evidently all the bridesmaids had a thing for me. And <laughs> I'd rather get a knife. Very true. Uh, Very so true. So I had to mention it, and plus he is absolutely a stick man, Nick Marshall. 
I like the sideways reference there. Very yeah. subtle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Zach. Again, number five. I, 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 I got to critique that pick because, like, in that movie, I think, I think the point is to show that he's not a ladies' man. Like, remember when, when he hooks up with Marissa Tomei, she complains a lot about him, and he, and he's able to read her mind, but only when he has that power is he able to unleash his inner stick man. Well, no, he 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 was a stickman before that, but when he got the power, he couldn't actually harness it originally. No, that's a, that's, I think that's a terrible pick. Okay, number five. <laughs> Both of you don't understand this list. I should have explained it better. Okay, number five. So we're, we're making this, you know, we want to be an all-inclusive list. So I'm going to start with a stick woman, the first stick woman to appear on our list. And this is someone who uh, has had a lot of partners and uh, is seen uh, quite often with other partners and uh, a lot of people in the movie see her and that is none other than little bill's wife from boogie nights played memorably by the real life porn star nina hartley and uh what's great about little bill's wife is that she really doesn't have she's not so much about equality it's much more about the quantity and the visibility and what i also love about little bill's wife is that uh when she actually has um it, it she actually serves a function on the film set which is that uh, when Ricky Jay, as the cameraman, is uh, setting up his shots, he's looking at uh, Little Bill's wife. And so, uh, you know, it's it's great kind of pre-production task. And uh, she is a stick woman, if there ever was one. Her, her life ends a little abruptly, but just think of up to that point, the poundage that was there. Little Bill's wife, number five. It was her job. <laughs> exactly. the purpose. Exactly. So why I mean, not Nick just Mark- make a list full of hookers? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but see, the the creative thing about that pick is I didn't go with Dick, Dirk Diggler, you know, or Amber Waves or Roller Girl or anything like that. Little Bill's wife was getting it in more than any of them. All right. Number four for me. That's definitely a, be- a better pick than mine. I still like Todd's better than yours. Uh, number four for me is is definitely a, a, a stick man if there ever was one. Uh, and that is Handsome Rob. Brought to us by Jason Statham in the 2003 version of The Italian Job. This this is a true stick man right here. Uh, it, it's uh, and, and to the so much so that his uh, his prowess as a stick man plays heavily into the plot of their of their heist, as uh, as they needed to to, uh, to steal a, a van and a uniform. And so he just goes up to the the prettiest girl that drives one of the vans, and uh, as a uh, uh, yeah Becky, as a uh, as as Seth Green, as Seth Green's Napster says, uh, uh, oh it would I, I, I'm gonna need your shirt. Oh, would you like my virginity too? If it's on the menu, and that that's it. I mean that's 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 what it's all about right there. So uh, so yeah, handsome Rob. Obvious stick man, number four on my list. It's a great pick. It's a great pick. I know it's a great pick. That's why I picked it. <laughs> Unlike your first choice. <laughs> Unlike my first choice. Hey, it, it was a different kind of stick man. I, 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 I stand by it. I stand by it. I don't care what you say. Todd, number four. Okay, so my number four is not a human. Uh, it's Bojack Horseman. Uh, played by Will Arnett, he is definitely one like a celebrity stick man. He he used his fame to to get the ladies, just like uh you know like stick man Hall of Famer Leo DiCaprio, and he's emotionally <laughs> detached and he uses like sex and alcohol to fill the void that he has in his life, and so that makes it so that he is just constantly sleeping with random women. So BoJack Horseman is obviously a stick man. 
or stick thing, whatever. Stick horse. Stick horse. There we go. Yeah. All right. Zach, number four. You see, it's very interesting, Todd, that you bring up uh, a non-human uh, uh, animated character because for my number four, I actually did the same thing, um, except it wasn't BoJack Horseman. I decided to go with the Tramp from Lady and the Tramp because, you know, he's a tramp, but I love him. You know, and that's what all the, the female dogs say about him. There's that scene when Liddy goes into the pound and she meets all of his former flames, and, like Trixie, Lulu, Fifa, Fifi, and Rosita Chiquita. And uh, you got to think in terms of just per capita stick man, uh, he's, he's getting it in, you know, um, constantly. And uh, the whole movie is a metaphor for um, a polygamous lifestyle, uh, you know, succumbing to monogamy. And uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the tramp, um, the, I think per capita, the tramp has more than anyone else that we could possibly think of. So, so if that, if that is the theme of, of that, then, uh, then from that standard what women want is a perfect uh perfect one to have on the list so by your own standards you just had a terrible pick i don't know what you're talking about terry says the man who chose peter dr peter um (laughs) i i think going with animated animals is a good idea i'm just gonna leave that out okay okay i thought so too all right number three on my list uh is uh probably um uh oh how how could i put it the most the most tame of the stickmen that we'll mention simply because it comes from a disney uh a disney, oh, disney entity again. yeah <laughs> but it's it's not it's not animated it's not animated it's more a disney than we would have thought <laughs> it's a disney entity and and uh number three on my list is tony stark uh also known as iron man played by robert downey jr uh, before he settles down with Pepper Potts, you can tell he this is this is the definition of a stick man right here. Uh, he he's uh, he's a party boy. He does everything he can to party, um, and uh, even even after he becomes Iron Man, he he continues that on at least for a little bit. So uh, uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, about as a about as a stick manly as you get right there. So number three, Tony Stark. You're picking way too many characters who are too old and in committed monogamous relationships, Terry. Yeah, yeah. You, you picked the tramp. That, def- that, defies, <laughs> that defies the whole spirit of stickmen, you know? I mean, what makes Leo and, and A-Rod and Derek Jeter such great stickmen is they weren't in relationships. But now that they are... They aren't. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> says the one who just described his great pick as being a film about about, uh, monogamy or going into a monogamous relationship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Todd, what what do you got next? Uh, So my number three is uh, Roger Sterling, uh, played by John Slattery in Mad Men. Uh, Now we're talking. That's a good pick. He is the the aura of this rich man, and he also happens to be really rich. And like Nick Marshall, he is an ad man, so he uh, can talk his way into anything. Uh, the secretaries are always in for a lot of like seducing and flattery, and uh, his list of exes is mightily impressive. Most of them uh, decades younger than he is, uh, but Roger Sterling is the epitome of a of a stick man. 
Now we're talking. That's the first great pick I've heard. That that he Roger Sterling is Stickman Hall of Fame. Okay, he's making the induction speech. He's got the he's got the plaque at Cooperstown. He is a monument to all stickmen. All those who to, all those who aspire to be stickmen look up to Roger Sterling. Yeah, he was the first one that came to mind when when the list came up. So I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> all right, Zach, what do you got next? Okay, my number three is. Uh, the character Joe from the films Nymphomaniac Volume 1 and Nymphomaniac Volume 2. I think her name's Joe. I don't remember her name being referred to. Uh, but this character is played by Charlotte Gainsbourg uh, as she's an older woman, Stacey Martin, in the younger, uh, earlier scenes in the film. And uh, I'll just put it this way. You know, this woman goes through so much over the course of her life in this four-hour film, six-hour if you include the unrated director's cut film, uh, that uh, she is broken. Literally, her, her body is actually broken at the end of the film. It's like... I, I, I don't know what, what other way to put it. It's like, it's like a car that has, like, 400,000 miles on it, and you can't drive it anymore. And uh, she's, a, she's a testament to all stick women everywhere. And a cautionary tale about the dangers of living as a stick woman, uh, especially in the Lars von Trier universe. So my number three is Joe from Nymphomaniac, Volume 1 and 2. All right. I, I think it. I think it's cheating to pick to pick not only someone from Boogie Nights but from a film called Nymphomaniac. <laughs> hey, come on, Todd, you agree with that pick, right? I mean, if we're talking like long histories here, you know, and the, the what, what epitomizes Stickman? It, it is the this is the resume. It is the CV, and this woman, uh, it, it can't be topped. I, I still didn't. I would have never thought to pick women for this list. <laughs> And if you're going with that rationale, then you just have to pick a bunch of prostitutes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she was a prostitute, though, was she? I mean, well, no, she's but a, I mean, she's you gotta think prostitutes herself. have a longer list than, uh, than uh, Joe. She did bang Sh- uh, Shia LaBeouf at many points of her life. That's probably the one downside, is she, you know, was really kind of loyal to him more than anyone else. But uh, there was still quite a bit of action. All right. Lest we forget. Okay. Number two on my list. This was this was the first name I thought of when uh, when I heard about the the list, and he is the the ultimate stick man, and that is the character of Barney Stinson from the sitcom How I Met Your Mother, uh, brought to us by Neil Patrick Harris. This is the ultimate stick man. I think at one point. He, he boasts of having of having 300 partners because he kept a list. Uh, he ha- he has a playbook, a literal playbook of moves to get women to uh, to be with him. One of which is him dressing up as an 80 year old man coming to someone and saying, "I'm from the future. The younger version of me is about to walk in. You have to sleep with him to save the universe. And it works. This is, as far as stick men go, this is like the epitome. This is this is where where everything comes down to is Barney Stinson. He he even went goes to the goes to the uh, the Super Bowl and holds up a sign with his phone number on it. He only wears a suit. Everything he does is legend. Wait for it, dairy, and he is amazing. Barney Stinson, How I Met Your Mother. Obvious choice, my number two. Nice. You can't get better than that. 
You can't get better than that. Well, you can because he's my number two, but... <laughs> Someone's better than him. Yeah. Okay, Todd, number two. Uh, so my number two, I went with Austin Powers. Uh, I could have gone with James Bond, but I decided to go with Austin because he's more fun to talk about. He has really horrible teeth, but women are always still really into him, at least in the 60s. Uh, Foxy Cleopatra, Felicity Shagwell, a lot of vagina, Vanessa Kensington, and her mother. The list goes on and on. Austin Powers is the ladies' man of all ladies' men. He is a stick man for sure. Yes. Hard to argue. And, and what's, what's great about his stickman tenure is just how long of a career it was from the 1960s to the 1990s. Pretty amazing. You don't see careers like that uh, very often, but Austin Powers transcends the generational conflicts. He, he was in the swing in 60s, but he brought that spirit to the 1990s. It's amazing. Yep. All right. Zach, number two. Okay, my number two is uh, Jenny Gump from Forrest Gump. Uh, she's had a long history, kind of like Joe in Nymphomaniac. Um, we don't know quite what the numbers are, but if we are, if we are just talking, again, the, the spirit of the stickmen is about raw quantity, okay? And if we're talking like long periods of history, you know, like if, if we're doing a conservative estimate every year from the 1960s to the 1980s about uh, the sexual partners of Jenny Gump, we're talking, we got to be talking in the millions potentially because uh, this woman has been all over the place and um, there there's just there's no rational way of calculating the number of sexual partners that she's had I think it's in it's it's maybe nine ten digits long I I don't know but uh, she's worn out by the end of the film and uh, it, it, it's again a cautionary tale about the dangers of being a stick woman in the modern world but uh, as memorably played by Robin Wright Penn um, she's an amazing character she's a she's a testament to the, st the stick woman quality so Jenny Gump my number two all right. Meets on, a tragic end, sadly. Yeah, that's true. Number one on my list uh, was briefly mentioned a second ago. Uh, there's no more iconic stick man than James Bond, so I had to put James Bond number one. Uh, talk about uh, having a uh, the the longevity of a career from the '60s till till next year. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but I mean, I I think. I, James Bond like originated the stick man. I mean, he he is he is like the founding member. He's he's uh and he's still the uh the most iconic figure of the uh of the group. So I'm going to go with James Bond as number 1. And I don't even think I don't even think Barney would argue with me. I think that that's like the one person Barney would would say uh would say has him beat. See, I think James Bond takes a little bit of a hit once Daniel Craig takes over. And he does get but, married at one point. Right. And, and, and like, some of the, like, the George Lazenby and the Tim Timothy Dalton ones, eh, you know. But, but pure, you know, the, the, from the era of Connery and Moore, I understand that pick. Whatever. Todd, number one. <laughs> All right, so my number one is the 2006 Shiva Bowl winner, Taco MacArthur from The League. <laughs> Uh, he lays so many women that he ended up coming up with his own Eskimo Brothers database and the bed and breakfast to go with it. So when, if you're an Eskimo brother, it means you slept with the same girl as, as another guy. 
Taco is completely unemployed and stoned all the time, and he's just trashy and stupid enough to woo any female. He's a musician also, so he can sing, and he owns two companies. He owns Taco's Truck, which does not serve tacos, and Taco Corp, which is co-owned by Marshawn Lynch. And he's also an actor when he helps Rafi and Dirty Randy shoot a porno in Andre's apartment. Uh... And then uh, he's the Eskimo brother of basically every grown man, including J.J. Watt and Josh Cribbs. He is a chick magnet in every way. Taco MacArthur is obviously number one. You, you forgot the founder of MyFace, the, yeah, the offline face social network. And, I think but, that's all just part of Taco Corp. I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. But yes, having the EBDB BNB is, uh, is about as good as you get. <laughs> yeah. When I, when the history uh, he popped in my head, I was like, "That's my number one. It has to be." That, Too many things point to it. That's yeah, yeah. That uh, yes, Taco. Wow, wow. Yes. Okay, Zach, you're, try and top that. Oh, well, I, I can't. I can top it. Uh, my number one. That's because you, you haven't know, seen the league. Would, <laughs> that is that may be a part of it. Uh, but yes, I'll try to top it. Uh, you know, when we're talking about stickmen, you have to talk about that. They're all relative to the era in which they were working. So uh, you have to consider that. You also have to consider, you know, that there are other things than being just a stickman. I mean, sometimes there are jobs. Sometimes there are responsibilities, uh, like uh, taking names of the crew members and, uh, you know, uh, checking the call list. And Jack Swagger in Apollo 13 has a lot of duties. <laughs> But he still manages to be the greatest stick man of all time, okay? When we see, the, the first time we see Jack Swaggart, he's talking to Tracy. He's talking about putting the, you know, when, when, when everything's a clicking, there's no other feeling like it in the world. That's literally the opening scene of Apollo 13, is him talking to his date at the party, okay? And the, 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 the next time we see him, he's getting out of the shower with another woman, getting told that he's... Uh, going to go up on the ship because of Ken Mattingly's, uh, you know, uh, 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 measles, right? And then when we see the night before the launch, Jack, hey, we don't know who's over. There's probably a horde of women over there, you know? As we are told consistently in the film, he's the first bachelor in outer space. We do think he's a little optimistic, though, bringing nylons and Hershey bars to the moon. But hey, you know what? That's what happens when you're the number one stick man in the history of film, Jack Swaggart in Apollo 13. I, Take I, that, Pete Conrad. I I, th I think you just slipped up and called him Jack Swaggart, by the way, and but it, it fits. It fits. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Jack Swaggart. Perfect. That's what. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, Terry. That's amazing. Uh, all right. This was so, a great list. This was this was this was fun. All right, so let's go through. Or stupid. There's such a fine line between brilliance and stupidity. It's, it's true. But. We're gonna go through five to one and go through some honorable mentions before we get to our game. So for me, uh, number five, Doctor Peter Vinkman. Number four, Handsome Rob. Number three, Tony Stark. Number two, Barney Stinson. And number one, James Bond. Todd. Number five, Nick Marshall. Number four, Bojack Horseman. Number three, Roger Sterling. Number two, Austin Powers. And number one. Taco. <laughs> number five, Little Bill's Wife and Boogie Nights. Number four, The Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. Number three, Joe from Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2. Number two, Jenny Jenai Gump from Forrest Gump. And number one, the swag man himself, Jack Swaggart from Apollo 13. You realize Jack is the only guy, like actual human man on your list? 
yes. Okay. I would, you know, and Jack probably is, it, 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 it's his, his taxes are probably taking a hit from not shacking up with someone officially. And he did die fairly early on before he took office in Colorado, but it's still a legendary career. Yes. All right. Uh, so honorable mention, I've got a few, uh, a few to mention here. Um, as I was going through, like I said, I kept on wanting to go to like my fictional musicians list. So like all the snow, he was a great stick man, but I wanted to stay away from him since I, I, I felt like it was cheating just picking fiction, fictional musicians. Um, another one that was on like the, I bet this guy was a great stick man is uh, Rufus from Kill Bill. You know, oh, you know, he one. was a stick speculative, man. speculative, but a good choice. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the the one song he knows how to play is "Love Me Tender." So, I mean, he, they've been in Texas. Yeah, yeah, he's the Let's man. With him. Um, and then uh, the if we go back in the way way back machine, Rhett Butler, "Gone with the Wind." He was a stick man. You know, he was mm-hmm. a stick man. Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Okay, and then I have I have a dishonorable mentions list as well with a couple names on it. Of, of people that you you know uh, wish they were stickman, but obviously are not in any way. Um, one of them is Michael Scott from The Office. Um, he he is he is definitely not a stickman, but uh, the the joke that he he always jokes about it, and uh, uh, his his favorite joke is one that I've felt like repeating several times over the last little bit as we've been talking about it. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, as, as Zach continues to talk about the, the long histories and careers of, of these, of these stick men. Um, anyways, uh, the other one on, on my dishonorable mention list is, uh, is Mr. Brown from Reservoir Dogs brought to us by Quentin Tarantino. If anyone is going to go through a, a 10 minute monologue about what like a virgin means in front of perfect strangers that he's just met, obviously you're not a golfer. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's not a stick man. And I'm also going to include the three of us for having this conversation. <laughs> Good call. Hey, t- I don't know what you're talking Todd's a stick man. He's what women want. Uh, Todd, honorable mentions. All right. My honorable mentions, I had, uh, Connery's Bond. I had, a uh, Trent Walker from, uh, Swingers. He's so money. Uh, George Roundy from, uh, Shampoo. Sonny Corleone. And of course... Jack from Sideways, just because all he has oh, to do is the 4.8 APR financing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Zach. I had uh, Cal, played by Ryan Gosling in Crazy Stupid Love. Not Crazy Stupid Asians. Uh, Tommy DeVito in Goodfellas, because he brings a, a new girl home every night. Uh, Polly D in Jersey Shore, because definitely per capita the most poundage on that, sh- that show, first few seasons at least. Uh, Cartman's mom on South Park, and Officer Slater's wife in Superbad, who is a whore. <laughs> All right. I could have said Stifler's mom. That would have been a good one. That would have been a good one, too. Yeah. Okay. Now it's time to hop into our game. Adam Daly of Adam Daly Live and of Almost Sideways. Uh, has the given me podcast. and the Red and Brown podcast. Let's get all of his uh, all of his titles out there. He has given me his uh, his list of uh, of stickmen, and we are going to guess that list now. So I'll start uh, number five, Nick Marshall from What Women Want. Number four, Bruce Wayne. 
Uh, number three, Joey Tribbiani from Friends. Uh, number two, Tony Stark. Number one, James Bond. Okay, I went with number five, Tony Stark. Number four, James Bond. Number three, Bruce Wayne. Number two, Jacob from Crazy Stupid Love. And number one, it has to be Hitch, right? Oh, I thought about Hitch, yeah. That's a good one. All right, Zach. And I meant to say Jacob from Crazy Stupid Love, not Cal. Cal is a Steve Carell character. He's, he's not a stickman. He becomes a stickman. Uh, he becomes a stickman, but I meant the, the Ryan uh, Gosling character. Number, uh, number five is Dirk Diggler. Number four, Penny from The Big Bang Theory. Number three, Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Number two, James Bond. And number one, Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. All right. Uh, Todd, while I'm pulling up his list, give us uh, what, our, uh, what our score currently is. Uh, we have Todd, ten and a half, uh, Zach, uh, six and a half, and Terry, five. Okay. Honorable mentions. We have Bruce Wayne, uh, Blanche Devereaux from Golden Girls. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Hall of Fame stick woman. I was thinking about her. <laughs> uh, Ruby from Neon Demon, played by Jenna Malone. Nice. Todd knows what I'm talking about. He wrote that in his list. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> Uh, Jacob from Crazy Stupid Love, played by Ryan Gosling, and Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Ah. Number five, Lana from Risky Business. Who? Rebecca Day Mornay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's a prostitute. Okay. Um, Number four, Chaz Reinhold from Wedding Crashers, played by Will Ferrell. The man gets it at weddings and funerals. Nice. Uh, number three, Jenny from Forrest Gump. Ah. Number two, Barney Stinson, How I Met Your Mother. And number one, James Bond. So I had one. I had two. I had one. What two did you have? Barney and James Bond. Okay. Does Zach win again? Yes. Oh, that's dangerous. Dang it. Cut, cutting, know, cutting into that lead. It... it it's, you know, actually, Terry, I was kind of hoping that you wouldn't go into the worst stickman, because that could be a future power rankings, potentially. It could be. It could be. But I, I had to mention it. That's a fun too. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so Zach wins our game. Zach gets to pick again. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Moving on into, uh, into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. So, last time on trivia, I won. Who did I beat? I don't Me. even. I beat Zach. And so Zach had uh, to watch something that I uh, that I requested of him to watch, and uh, I got him to watch something that Todd and I have been trying to get him to watch for a little while, or at least part of something. Zach, tell us what you had to watch and what you thought. I had to watch the first two episodes of the Showtime hit, Dexter. Yes. Yes. And what'd you think? Uh, well, I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm more of a film person, so you have to give me a little bit of a handicap there. But um, it was okay. I thought it was sort of like uh, American Psycho meets CSI. 
and um, I didn't find the actual story about the ice truck killer that interesting in the first couple episodes, but I did find Dexter as a potentially interesting character. I don't know, he's like Patrick Bateman, except sort of lacks the wit and the social commentary. Um, but uh, as played by Michael C. Hall, I, I think he's um, an interesting protagonist. I, I really more like the I, I like his uh, the relationship that he has with his girlfriend, which is a very non-sexual relationship, or at least it is moving towards a sexual component to it. But uh, yeah, I, I like the scenes. I like the double date that he has with his sister and her new boyfriend. Um, but uh, other than that, um, I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a crime drama that takes place in Miami. You know, uh, it's not really Zach type material. But uh, I'm glad I watched it, and um, you know, I hope Dexter and the lady get married later on and maybe consummate their relationship because at this point, Dexter is also on your list of non-stick men. I mean, he is just not at all. At least in the first two episodes, he does not seem to be remotely interested at all, as opposed to Patrick Bateman, who's quite quite a considerable stick man. Would you consider watching any more of the series? Well, Todd told me that it gets really good after about five or six episodes, so uh, possibly we'll see. See, I wa- I wanted to just say you have to watch the first season, but oh god, I, I, I felt like twelve twelve episodes was a bit too much of a of a commitment, so I went with two. But don't most people say the first season of Dexter is the best season? Um, it's one of, I'd say. I say season four. Season, yeah, it's hard to beat season four. It really is. Season four, and then one and two, and then uh, seven. Se- is that the last one? No, that's the second to last one. Yeah, seven's pretty good too. This one with. Se- uh, with uh, the Russians and uh, Hannah McKay. Yes, yes, where Hannah McKay comes in. Yeah. The last one's obviously the worst. But, um... Season 6 is the worst. Season 6, yeah. Season 6, the, the Doomsday Killer? Yeah. Yeah. Mo- yeah, with Most Def and Edward James Olmos. And Colin Hanks. Colin Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. No, Season 5 isn't that good either with Lumen. I don't know. I like season five. It it definitely has, I mean, it coming off of season four, it definitely has some some interesting stuff to do. But yeah, one one two well, and four are by far the best. Does Dexter become more of a stickman? My my answer to whether I watch it hinges on on this question. Um, by going from from nothing to something, yes. Okay, so. That means <laughs> yeah. he, that, 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 that tells partners. me everything I need to know, Terry. He has several partners throughout the show, yeah. <laughs> Most of them pretty screwed up. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Yeah, basically all of them. And most of them blonde. <laughs> Except Lila. Lila. Yeah, Lila. <laughs> Even the one uh, girl that he hooks up with at his class reunion, like she was blonde too. Oh gosh, I don't even know if I remember that. When was that? I think that was season six. Okay. I could go back and watch Dexter again. The forgotten season that no one liked. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad season. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, uh, since I won last time, it's going to be a game between between Todd and Zach. And uh, and after Todd beats Zach, he can uh, make him watch more Dexter if he wants. Uh, No, please don't. (laughs) So, uh, we are going to go with some uh, traditional trivia. That's right, we are going to do some Oscar trivia. As we're getting into award season, 
uh, we have the uh, the Golden Globes coming up on Sunday, so why not relive uh, some some great years in Oscar history? So I have a year, and we're going to go through some of the major categories. See if you guys can come up with the uh, the winners, the nominees in these categories. And the year that we are going to be looking at this time is the 2001 Oscars. 2001 Oscars. Now these are the uh, the 2001 films that were honored at the 2002 ceremony. And since nobody likes the way I score, I'm going to review with, for you guys how <laughs> I score this. So everyone get gets to start the same number of categories. Um, and uh, if, you, if you go out before the category is finished, the other person gets a point. They get a point for every other... Uh, nominee they can get over that uh, if you can come up with a nominee before you come up with the winner uh, the other person can get an extra point for getting the winner out of turn um, and uh, and yeah that's a uh, that's basically how it works 2001 Oscars so not not too far uh, too far back but uh Far enough to potentially be interesting here. All right, let's do it. All right, and Todd, since you, uh, since you were the uh, the one that hosted last time, you're gonna get to pick if you want to go first or second. Let me give you the order we're gonna go, and we're gonna go uh, go picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, director, original screenplay, adapted screenplay, and then uh, just for Zach. Uh, best original song and best foreign film to give him a fighter's chance. Oh boy. So do you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Okay. So best picture. There were only five nominees at the time. Uh, best picture. Todd, go ahead. A Beautiful Mind. Correct. The deserving winner in the bedroom. Correct. Uh gosford park correct lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring correct moulin rouge that is correct you guys ran the category and you know what i will give you each a point for running the category so it's hey. one to one that's generous i know I, i'm feeling generous <laughs> today okay zach you're going first on best actor the winner denzel washington for training day correct uh, Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind. Correct. Will Smith for Ali. Correct. Tom Wilkinson in the bedroom. Correct. Oh boy. Uh, who was the other one? Um. Oh, it's. I, I give up. It's gonna. It's gonna be obvious though. All right. So Todd gets the Todd? point for that. Todd, do you have it? Uh, Sean Penn for I Am Sam. That is correct. Ah. All right, Oscar bait. Todd takes a three to one lead. Todd, you go first. Best actress. Halle Berry for Monsters Ball. Correct. That was the winner. Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom. Correct. Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. Correct. Renee Zellweger for Bridget Jones's Diary. Correct. Dame Judi Dench for Iris. 
Correct. Each of you get another point. It is now four to two. Zach, best supporting actor. The winner is Jim Broadbent for Iris. Correct. Uh, Ethan Hawke for Training Day. Correct. The deserving winner, Ben Kingsley for Sexy Beast. Correct. Uh, Ian McKellen for Lord of the Rings. Correct. Was it John Voight for Ali? Correct. Yeah. Still alive. It is now five to three. Todd, Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Jennifer Connelly for Beautiful Mind. Correct. Uh, Maggie Smith for Gosford Park. Correct. Uh, Helen Mirren for Gosford Park. Correct. Kate Winslet for Iris. Correct. Uh, Marissa Tomei in the bedroom. Correct. Six to four. You guys are doing quite well. Best director. Who's first on this one? Zach's Zach's first on this one. I think I go first. Yep. The win the winner was Ron Howard for A Beautiful Mind. Correct. Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings. Correct. Uh, Robert Altman for Gosford Park. Correct. David Lynch, Mulholland Drive. Correct. Todd Field for In the Bedroom. Incorrect. Ah. Todd gets another point. Todd, Ridley do you have Scott. it? Ridley Scott. Black Hawk Down. Yep. How was Todd Field not nominated? That's I don't know. Injustice. All right. It is now eight to four, Todd. And Todd, you go first on best original screenplay. Gosford Park. Correct. That is the winner. Uh, I forgot to write these in advance. Uh, original screenplay. Ooh. Uh, Gosford Park was the winner. Um, Monsters Ball? Correct. Amelie? Correct. Uh, um, Shrek? Incorrect. Todd gets the point. Todd, there's two more out there if you know them. I don't think I know them. But I'm... Memento? Memento is correct. And... I'm going to say Iris. Incorrect. The fifth one was the Royal Tenenbaums. Ah. Uh, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson with his Oscar nomination. Nice. All right. Zach, you now start Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, well, the winner was A Beautiful Mind. Correct. Shrek. Correct. Uh, in the Bedroom. Correct. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Correct. Iris? Incorrect. Todd, do you have it? Black Hawk Down? Nope. Ghost World. Ghost World. Good oh. choice. Alright, the score is currently 11 to 4. Alright. What did I say was next? Best original song? Alright, Todd. Yeah. Best original song... There are five of them. I'm going to say Come What May from Moulin Rouge. Incorrect. 
Zach, you get a point, and you've got five out there you can you can get. I'll say you just gotta give me the the movie. Did I get the uh, movie right? No. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> I want to say the song from A Beautiful Mind, but I don't think I'm gonna say it because I, I don't think it was nominated. Um. I'm trying to think of the Disney movies that came out that year. Gosh, it's kind of hard to think. I don't know if there was an original song in Shrek. Um, what, was the, what was the big Disney movie from 2001? I'm totally blanking here. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, oh uh, the Lord of the Rings, did that have a song? That did have a song called May yeah. It Be. That's what I thought. So that's one if I would have known I decided to say the movie, it would have gone differently. <laughs> Hey, song hey, title you I need to of. you need to shut up. You're up by seven. Okay, you're gonna win this. Start thinking about what you're gonna assign me. All right, other songs. Um, uh, um, Shrek. Incorrect. Nah. So so the song from Lord of the Rings was written by Enya. Uh, then you have uh, from Vanilla Sky. Oh, Vanilla Sky by Paul by McCartney. Paul McCartney. McCartney, yeah. I remember that song. Uh, there You'll Be by Diane Warren from Pearl Harbor. Um, Until by Sting from Kate and Leopold. And the winner is If I Didn't Have You by Randy Newman from Monsters, Inc. <sighs> News the freaking Disney movie. Forgot it. <sighs> All right. Last category. Zach, you're starting. Best foreign film. No Man's Land. That is the winner, correct. That was the only one I had written down. Uh, Amelie? I'm pretty sure it wasn't nominated. It was. That is correct. Whoa. Really? Yep. <laughs> and it didn't win? It did not win. The Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth of that year, apparently. Yeah. Um... A Kandahar? Nope. Ah. You have anything else, Todd? No. Alright, so the Oh, wait. No, 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 wait. Itumama Tambien? No. The other movies are from... The Piano Teacher? What? The Piano Teacher? No. Oh. Alright, from Norway, Elling. From India, Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India. Oh, that's a good movie. That's a Bollywood epic. And from Argentina, Son of the Bride. So with a final score of 12 to 6, Todd is victorious. He'll be running trivia next time, and he gets to pick something for one of us to watch. Probably the next, like, two to three episodes of, uh, of Dexter for Zach. We'll see. All right. It's time to wrap up our podcast with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Zach, I'm going to let you go first. All right, well, my quote of the day comes from the number one movie stickman of all time, none other than Jack Swaggart in Apollo 13. And it's when he's talking to uh, one of his conquests at the beginning of the film, Tracy. And he's mansplaining uh, what happens when you're in the lunar module. And he says, this thing here sits out in front. That's called a probe. Is that true? Absolutely. And Tracy, I tell you, when you feel that thing sliding and everything's a-clicking, it's like no other feeling in the world. Which could 
probably not apply to this podcast, but maybe in another universe it could. Uh, all right, my quote comes from A League of Their Own. It's John Lovitz, Ernie Cappadino. He's talking to the salesman on a, on a train. He's like, you know, if I had your job, I'd kill myself. Wait here, I'll see if I can dig up a pistol. Every time I take a trip, I gotta sit next to one of these guys. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a good one. Uh, I did a, a a whole list of um, of top ten A League of Their Own quotes uh, about a year ago on a year and a half ago now on our uh, on our blog. And number two on my list was anything John Lovitz says. Um, yeah, yeah. John Lovitz not a not a bit not known for his stickman performances. No, no. You see, the way it works is the train moves, not the station. <laughs> see that grass? Don't eat it. As he's watching cows being milked, doesn't that hurt them? It would bruise the hell out of me. Uh, I love it. All right, so uh, so since I had this list, I mean, I could keep going on this list. Number one was there's no crying in baseball. Uh, number three on the list is one of my favorites, uh, where uh, Jimmy Dugan is talking to Dottie and says, uh, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. It's one of my all-time favorite quote quotes there. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, a quote from Barney Stinson in How I Met Your Mother. Uh, just to show just how, how much of a stick man he is. Uh, he is explaining at one point how, uh, how you don't want to necessarily end up with a crazy girl. Uh, and uh, he's explaining there's a science behind it. And, and he says, uh, A girl is allowed to be crazy as long as she is equally hot. Thus, if she's this crazy, she has to be this hot. You want the girl to be above this line, also known as the Vicky Mendoza diagonal. This girl I dated. She played jump rope with that line. She'd shave her head, then lose 10 pounds. She'd stab me with a fork, then get a boob job. I should give her a call. There you go. That, that's Barney Stinson, wrapped up. Beautiful. All in, all in yeah. one right there. Almost uh, EBDBBNB territory there. Almost, almost. And and he as he's doing it, he's like drawing this this graph with his finger, and it's popping up in space above his head. It's it's amazing. If you haven't seen How I Met Your Mother, it, it's it's worth a watch just to watch watch Barney Stinson do his thing. All right. Well, I guess that means we are wrapping up our podcast. Thank you so much again for listening. Uh, have a uh, a wonderful 2019, and uh, we will be talking to you again soon. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.